just real quick. So we're in. We're going to be in Genesis uh, nine, chapter nine today, um, and Andy's going to be preaching next week, and he's going to kind of conclude with the the Tower of Babel. Um, and I texted him earlier, and it came out the Tower of Babel, and so <laughs> that's why I got to emphasize my R and make sure I don't do it. But uh, the Tower of Babel. And uh, then we're going to take August, and we're going to just be in the Psalms. Um, There's some great Psalms out there, but also um, there's just a way to read the Psalms. It's very refreshing. They become prayer for us. They become songs for us. Um, So we're just going to kind of take a reprieve in Psalms for August. And then September and October, in eight weeks, we're going to cover the rest of Genesis. So if you do the math, we're going to start in chapter 12 to to chapter 50. Um, In about eight weeks, we're going to cover the rest of Genesis um, from September through October. And a lot of that's because if you look, you're reading about Abraham for so many chapters. All God breathed, all inspired by God. So it's going to be one of those where we say, hey, y'all read these chapters, and then we're we're going to take a look at the faithfulness or the lack of faithfulness or the distrust and uh, and the covenants that are in there, but we're going to do the rest of Genesis in about eight weeks. Um, and so, and, and you'll see how it works. Um, it kind of seems like, well, does that mean Ricky's going to be preaching for three hours this week or two? No, it's still going to be in a sermon context and time, but, but uh, right now we're going to do, we have this message, and then Andy is going to do the Tower of Babel. And then also, if you look at Psalm 119, uh, we'll be finishing Psalm 119 also next week. Um, and so, um, that's the plan. Um, finish Genesis uh, next week, um, and then take a reprieve into Psalms, and then we're going to finish Genesis um, in about a, a wait, an eight-week span. So if you're kind of mapping that out, and you'll you'll get the guidance on that as we get closer to it. So, all right, y'all. We are in Genesis chapter nine, verse eighteen through twenty-eight. Now, whenever we were preparing for this, I said read more than that because you've got some genealogies in there and. And our genealogies even went past the Tower of Babel. And I know that that takes a huge amount of coffee to get through the genealogies. And then the names all start to run together. And you're sitting there going, why? Like, why? What do I do with this? We're not going to hit all those genealogies, just so you know. Those are just good to to be aware of. I will highlight the most important aspect of that today um, or aspects. But we are in Genesis 9. and, uh, And what we have here is really the question... Well, what happened after the flood? Like we sit here today and he flooded the world because of sin. But then like what happened after the flood? That's a big question. And it's going to come down to two things you can watch for. Really, sin continued after the flood and so did the promise of salvation. We sit here today in the context we do in a broken world with our hope in place because those two things continued. Sin continued and the hope of salvation and so we're just we're going to look at that. I do think it's good to, to be aware of who um, Japheth and Shem and Ham are. That way you might or might not name your kids that, you know. It's good to know the association with those. Um, it's also good, though, to know that from these three, the rest of the world was populated. All right, so, so we're going to kind of pull all that into context. What happened after the flood, sin continued, and the promise of salvation. All right, now let's push into Genesis 9, verse 18 through 28. The sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the people of the whole earth were dispersed. 
Now Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward, and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew, that his, knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years, and all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. And then again, there, there are genealogies that follow that. Um, and then the Tower of Babel uh, is, is there in chapter 11, and then, then further genealogy. So let's just let's kind of walk through this one. And we're going to again watch the continuation of sin and the promise of salvation. The first, the first thing, let's look at the sins. Y'all, Noah sinned, okay? Like, I want to make that incredibly clear. Noah sinned. And I want to talk about that because... Um, it bothers me, a, a trend that sometimes we see in churches and in commentaries and trying to have a right theology. I think that there's a dangerous tendency that we also have. So we're looking at Noah's sin and Ham's sin. And, uh, and I think we have a problem in looking at Ham's sin also. That comes back to our theology and our commentators. So here's the big picture with Noah and Ham. And we're going we're gonna to take a look at this one more time, this passage. Um, they sinned. And the safest way to approach Scripture is to just always look at a plain reading of Scripture. God has made very plain what needs to be the very main thing that we understand. It's plain. We don't always have to dig deeper to try and understand something that was not plainly given by the sovereign God of all creation. He could have simply added and moved them in and inspired them to write five more words or paragraphs or pages, but he didn't see fit to do that. He told us exactly what we need to understand. So you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about here in just a second. Right, but look at Genesis 9, 18 through 23. Again, we, um, I know we just read it, but I want to keep this in context. Here's where we're talking about their sin. The sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. See how it's already there? We already get Canaan brought into the story. These three were the sons of Noah. And from them, the whole earth, the whole people of the earth were dispersed. Noah began to be a man of the soil. He planted a vineyard in which, you know, vines and grapes grow. He drank the wine and he became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, see how it mentions Canaan again? Ham saw the nakedness of his father, told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, walked backward and covered the nakedness of the father. Their faces were turned backward and they did not see their father's nakedness. I'm not going to lie. For years I read that because then you read the curse of, of Noah on Ham who walked into his father's tent. Ham walks in. Noah's the one laying there naked and then Ham gets this curse that lasts for generations. And as a, a believer, I'm just sitting there reading it. And I'm like... It's, a, it's not his fault. Like, it's not his fault he walked in there. And, and, and I really struggle with, well, why is he cursed? Like, and, and then just being able to have the time to where we can meditate on this and not rush past it in a one-year study. I want to I talk, about, talk about those two instances. Okay, so here's Noah's sin. Verse 20 to 21, Noah became a man of the soil. He planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine 
and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. I'm going to put this to the side real quick. Noah didn't sin because he took a drink. Noah sinned because he got drunk. All throughout Scripture, we will see that wine is used to celebrate. Wine is, is okay, but it's, it's in moderation. We even see Paul tell Timothy, you need to drink wine to, to calm your stomach. So we even see that with the qualifications of an elder, that they are not addicted to much wine. So there's a qualifier there. Now, is some of that cultural and, and some of it uh, timely for the world they lived in? Yes, but at the same time, I think it's, it really goes down to the drunkenness. That's what I see throughout Scripture. The drunkenness becomes a sin, just like gluttony becomes the sin. It's not the eating of good food. It's not the eating of specific food. It's the gluttonous, and it's the lack of reverence that God has given us. So he gets drunk, and what does Noah do? He lays naked in his tent. That is Noah's sin. Now, here's where I want to be careful to highlight this again and again, that Noah sinned. We have a very weird tendency I think with good intent in our theology and commentators struggle with this, but I've read commentaries where they say, oh, he didn't mean to, he didn't mean to get drunk. The world was so radically different after the flood that, that the fermentation was different, that Noah did not intend to get drunk, that the world was radically different. He was, no, y'all, I don't see that here. Do I think the world was radically different after a worldwide flood? Absolutely. Absolutely I do. You know what a plain reading of Scripture says? Noah sinned, he planted a vineyard, he drank the wine, he drank too much, he got drunk, and he lay uncovered in his tent. So the, the, the uncovered in his tent is the indecency that the drunkenness drove him to. He, so I just want to, I think we have a tendency to not see the failures of the saints in Scripture. Noah was a righteous man in Genesis 6. Here's a righteous, blameless man. Absolutely, in chapter 6. In that moment, he was blameless in his generation and righteous. But you know what? He just went through a worldwide, year-long flood, trapped in a giant boat with his family and numerous animals. And he comes out and he plants a vineyard and he indulges and he sins. David was a man after God's own heart then, and yet we know the sin that he walks through. And we're going to talk about that here in just a second. So it's okay. The Bible never hides the sins of God's people. We want to. We want to protect them. So I think it's with good intent. Well, we, Noah needs to be a hero. Noah's not the hero of the story, y'all. Nor are we. David's not the hero of the story. Nor is Samson, nor are the apostles, nor is Moses. I don't want to live like Moses, Noah, or Abraham. I want to live like Christ. So we have a greater righteousness, which is in Christ, Noah failed, and the Bible plainly shows it. So we just want to be careful that we don't gloss over and make them more glorious than they were ever meant to be. So throughout Scripture, y'all, we see the weakness and the failure of Noah, who did great things for God, of Abraham, who was called out by God and who was commissioned by God, and then we see Noah's sin. And then we see the same thing in Samson. Then we see the same thing in the apostles. I referenced this earlier, but Jesus washed the feet of Peter who would deny him. They all fled, and they left him alone to die on the cross. Now, did they come back? Yeah, but they still failed. At one point, Jesus even looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. I mean, that's, they are not perfect people, and they don't have to be because there is a perfect God who holds them and who holds you and me. Okay, so the Bible always shows us their weakness, 
I think that that's okay to embrace. I think it's fine. We just have a weird tendency to protect the image of our heroes. Okay, so, so he sinned. All right, so now I'm going to just shift over to, to David because this, David's the one I hear the most about. So remember King David? He was the shepherd boy. He was, um, he's the alone out in the field. He is not tall. He is not strong. He's, he's, he's attractive, and he's chosen to be the king um, because um, he's a man after God's own heart. Here's David, a man after God's own heart, and yet what happens with Bathsheba? He sees Bathsheba bathing, and he indulges, and he sins. But then you know what he does? He hears that her husband is still at war, so he moves her husband to the front lines where he knows that her husband is going to be killed. Like, his sin is right there. And then First Samuel, we keep going back to, but, but how can that guy still be the one that is spoken of in First Samuel 13, 14, the one who is a man after God's own heart, and yet he lusted, he indulged, and he murdered, and here's that guy? The scripture plainly shows us. So here's, here's what we've had to do. We've had to reconcile these things. And we have to accept that David is absolutely loved by the Lord and he had faith in God. Absolutely. We have to accept that David was a sinner who failed. We have to accept that David's repentance was true and he did not love his sin. We have to accept that David was an imperfect man held closely and forgiven by a perfect God. And I just want to lovingly, pastorally say that I think what we see is that David, though he sinned, he did not love his sin and he did not repeat his sin. Now, how did I get to Noah? I went to Noah just because he's a common one that we all know. And I want us to understand, like, here's this hero of the Bible that we can do this with. We can do the exact same thing with Noah. He sinned. We don't get to see his full scale of repentance, but we get to see that, that a man of God who's been used by God will sin. And we are shown all throughout the rest of Scripture that, that they will sin, but they repent and they don't continue to indulge in their sin. And so we just want to reconcile that with Noah, okay? Y'all, it's okay to say Noah sins. I want to ride back to these commentators and say, I appreciate what you're doing, and I know I'm really naive, and I probably definitely don't know as much as you do, but it's okay for Noah to sin and God still be good. All right? So take a look there. Noah sinned. He's at fault. The one who God used to be a savior of the world in that moment he failed. You know why? Because he's not Christ. All right, so I want to keep going. I want to encourage you um, to, to keep an eye on 1 John chapter 3, verses 6 through 9, just as a pastoral reminder for us as we're looking at, okay, well, Noah sinned, and he was fine with God, and David sinned, and he was okay with God, and Samson sinned. You know what 1 John chapter 3, verses 6 through 9 says? It's one you really want to look at. You know what? Let's just look at it. Let's not just like tell you to go look. Let's look. Because we need this. Because what I don't want to do is preach grace to the point where we think, oh, well, then we're free to sin. In fact, Romans says, should we sin so much that, or should we continue sinning so that God's grace may, may abound so much more? Like, let's sin so that God's love can be more. This is a great, right, Ricky? That's what you're saying? No, 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 no. Here's what very clear scripture says. 1 John chapter 3, verses 6 through 9. No one... No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. 
whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And the reason the Son of God appeared, so if you ever want to know why did the Son of God come, here it is. It's one of the times. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Verse 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. You know, the key in all that is not that, that there's sin, but it's the practice. It's the, the habitual, the, the, there's, there's an embracing of that sin over and over. You want to be humbled and you want to really uh, humbled in your prayer and, and worry about your salvation. Read 1 John chapter 3, verses 6 through 9 with a very real humble heart of, okay, God, like, but I keep sinning. Like, I'm not trying to, but it's still there. It's ever before me. I think that the distinguishing mark of a Christian is not that they never sin again. It's that they hate the sin that they do commit. There's got to be a hatred of sin, and the hatred of sin should continue to drive us from it to where that sin's no longer even a temptation. Okay, so, so I'm, I have, I'm, if you're like, where does this fit in an expository? I want to use this as a moment to, it's okay for Noah to sin. I want you to see that here's what we've been able to reconcile with David. We can apply the same thing to Noah. But we also need to look realistically about ourselves so that we either, number one, don't indulge in sin so that the grace of God may abound, or also just be flipping and discard ourselves because of sin. What we see from Scripture is that God has called sinful men and women to follow after him. And though they sin, they should hate their sin, repent, and we are still good and to be used by God. Not because we are heroic and have overcome the world, but because Christ has overcome the world and we place our hope and trust in him and his sin, I'm sorry, his death covered all sin for all time, one sacrifice. So, so that's where we kind of rest, all right? But Noah sinned. That's the big thing. He sinned. Okay, now I'm going to keep going um, and, and take a look at, at Ham's sin. What was Ham's sin? Oh, my word. Okay, so Ham, all it says is in verse 22, And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father, told his two brothers outside, and then he gets cursed. What in the world was his sin? So the commentators and theologians throughout the years have tried to solve this. That he lusted after his father. That he committed an act against his father while his father was sleeping. That he desired... Um, and, and, and therefore acted upon that, that, that he had evil intent toward his father. Like all these things are what commentators say maybe potentially is the sin. You know what? Where do they get that? It's not there. A plain reading of scripture says he saw his father naked lying in the tent and he went and told his two brothers about it. And so I'm sitting there for like years. I'm like, so, so just like we have this tendency to protect the heroes of the Bible and say that they cannot have sin and they did not have sin, I think we have an equally dangerous tendency to disregard the sins of the Bible as well. I think the sin is right here. It's, but I, I, I kind of want you to discover it for yourself also. So I'm, gonna kinda, I'm just going to tell you to go to Exodus 20. I think we see the sin of Ham right there. But we've, we've kind of disregarded certain sins and we've, we've made them less than um, sinful so that they're more comfortable for us, to be quite honest. Instead, we say, well, this is a greater sin, this is a greater sin, this is a greater sin, but not this one. So I'm just going to start reading. I'm going to see if it kind of pings to you. What 
what I really genuinely believe ham sin truly is. And you know what? I might get to heaven one day and God's like, nope, you nailed, or I mean, you missed it. You did not nail that one at all. Like you were way off. I'm going to say I'm sorry before we get to eternity together, if that's the case. But I really, I think that this is his sin. I see it. It makes sense. Biblically, here's a plain reading of Scripture. Here, and here's a plain reading of Scripture. And this is the Ten Commandments, y'all. So I think you're going to find it in here. I want you to find it with me. Verse, chapter 20, verse 1 in Exodus. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Here we go. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You do, and he says in verse 5 and 6, you're not going to bow down to them, but you're going to hold to me. Look at verse 7. Here's the next, next commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, or the sojourner who is in your gates. This, look at verse 11. This is just good. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed it, um, blessed the Sabbath, and made it holy. Verse 12, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that your Lord your God is giving you. And then it says, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Did y'all hear it? The sin of Ham, I, I genuinely feel, is in the Ten Commandments in its verse 12. You know what Ham did not do? He did not honor his father and his mother. Because what did he do? He walks in, he sees his father drunk and naked, and rather than cover it, he goes and he tells his two brothers. Another reason, it's not just that verse, but another reason I really think it comes down to that is because look at the links that, that Shem and Japheth actually go to to make sure that they don't even see their father. They walk backwards. It says that they take a blanket they drape it over their shoulders and they walk backwards so that they can't and they won't see the nakedness of their father. So I think that ham sin is not what we want to read into it so that we can take what we want out of it. I think a plain reading says he saw his father, his father was drunk and naked and he wouldn't even told his two brothers. His two brothers says no one and we don't want to see that. They go, they lay the blanket on him. I think that if we look at the Ten Commandments, it's really easy for us to get that verse 12 is a pretty serious commandment. Honor your father and your mother. That's what I think ham sin really was. I think that that's a sin that you and I might still struggle with, regardless of our age. We're really good to preach it to our kids, right? I'm going to make sure that Jackson honors his father and mother. And I can be guilty of the same thing of not doing, honoring my father and mother. So we have a tendency not only to protect the saints, but to, to make certain sins not as, not as uh, dangerous Honoring the father and mother, that's in the Ten Commandments. That's a serious sin. Right alongside do not commit adultery or murder or steal or lie or covet is honor your father and mother. So I think that that's, I, I really feel at peace in reading that he dishonored his father. And that makes sense why his father would be so upset to the degree that he would curse him. So so we have Noah's sin. We see um, 
Ham's sin. And then there's a cursing in verse 24 and 25. He said, cursed be Canaan. So Noah finds out, he hears what his youngest son does, and he says, cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, he shall be to his brother. Why is Canaan, sorry, why is Canaan cursed and not Ham? We don't know. We don't know. Scripture doesn't say. But it does keep saying that Ham is the father of Canaan. Ham is the father of Canaan, kind of building up to this moment. So we just know that Noah curses Canaan. Father side of me, you can, you can curse me and I can deal with it, but curse my son and it hurts so much more. I kind of think there's just a human element that I'm okay with. This is a greater curse to curse Canaan and not Ham. But I think it also shows us this, because we're going to see this all throughout. Canaan is probably a lot like his father, Ham, because we're about to see the genealogy of Ham real quick, and we're going to see that Ham has some, some pretty bad offspring, and Canaan's right in line with them. We're saying the name Canaan as a, as a kid, as a, as a kid of Ham, but if you think broader picture, we hear about Canaan and the Canaanites all throughout the Old Testament. Okay, so, so who is Ham, and, and what are his offspring and the Canaanites and stuff like this? So I, I do want us to look at this. It's, our, I think, our last long passage. But I want you to see the offspring of Ham. If, if we're sitting here today and God got rid of all evil in the world through the flood, then how did we get here today whenever we're watching our five news alerts and seeing the evil going on in the world? Verses, uh, chapter 10, verse 6 through 19. And I'm going to be, you're, you're just going to have to let your eyes scan with me. The sons of Ham are Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. We already know how Egypt plays into to Israel. Okay, and then we, we see Canaan, that are, they're going to be the Canaanites. Then it goes on and says, Cush father Nimrod. By the way, I don't know if that's what I, if you're looking for a biblical name, I don't think I would go with Nimrod um, as a name. You can if you want to but just the very name of it. So Nimrod. Okay, he, Nimrod, was the first one on earth to be a mighty man. That sounds like a good thing, right? He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. That sounds like an honor. It's not. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord, the beginning of Nimrod's kingdom was what? Babel, where the Tower of Babel is, right? Which, by the way, ultimately is where we're going to get our Babylon, which if you know your Old Testament uh, history. Babylon is a wicked city. It's an evil place. And so we don't, that, that's all rooted right there. Um, from that land, um, it, I, I've skipped a little bit. I'm sorry. I don't know the verse number. Um, he went into Assyria. Okay. So you remember the Assyrians, we talked about them in Jonah, the Assyrians, you look back through history and they are violent, wicked people who delighted in doing evil. This is who Jonah was supposed to go to and he does and they repent but it's a momentary generational repentance, and then they return to their way. So the Assyrians come through the line uh, as well. And then um, he goes on and he built Nineveh, the godless nation that, jo that Jonah had to go to, right? So there's Nineveh. So we're seeing some of these names come together. Egypt is mentioned, um, and I already mentioned that's a nation that ultimately enslaved God's people, and God saves them from Egypt. And then there's this one. Um, I always tell you all to do it with confidence, and I can't do it. Kesselohim, okay, from whom the Philistines came. And the Philistines are, an, are a nation who are against the Israelites, against God's people throughout the Old Testament. They're enemies of God. Then he goes on and says, Afterward, the clans of the Canaanites dispersed, and the territory of the Canaanites extended from Sidon in the direction of Gerar and as far as Gaza. Watch this, in the direction of Sodom, Gomorrah. And you know 
the godless, godlessness of those cities. Ham does not have a great genealogy uh, in, the, in regard to righteousness. I just thought it was good to show you that. That's where evil continued to just explode in this new world because sin will continue to grow and then one day it will be no more. That's what we wait on. But when you read the Canaanites in the Old Testament, we're going to see they're pagan, they're idolatrous, they're ungodly people doing sinful and detestable deeds and then they delight in those things and they have these nations that are set against God. That's Ham and Canaan's genealogy. There's a curse enough. So from Ham, they, they come all of those, those nations. Okay, then, then though Abraham, um, Abraham, I'm sorry, then Noah blesses um, Shem and Japheth. And then we're, we're really pushing towards the, the final conclusion where it gets really exciting for me. Genesis 9, 26 through 28, I am not going to read all of theirs as much as we did uh, with Canaan. Because Canaan, I think, was important to see how evil continued to grow uh, in a world that was supposed to be righteous. But with Shem... He said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. And he said, May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem. So Shem seems more, is more established. Japheth just gets to dwell in his tents and let Canaan be his servant. Okay, so why does he bless them? I think because he honors their action. He curses Ham's um, bad action. He honors their good action. He blesses them. Okay, so who is Shem? Okay, two sections you could read. There is Genesis 10, 21 through 30. And you're going to read it and you're going to be like, okay, you know, thank you, God, for your inspired word. Don't know what to do with that one. You know, looking forward to tomorrow's reading. Um, but then you could also read, and this is what we're going to use, Genesis 11, 10 through 26. After the Tower of Babel, then we get this other genealogy, which really is super awesome. Starts with, these are the generations of Shem. When Shem was 100 years old, he fathered a... Arpakshad. I think that's a good one, Paul. Arpakshad Richmond. There you go. Okay, Arpakshad, two years after the flood. Okay, then it continues. Go to verse, in chapter 11, go to verse 24 and 26. Here's why Shem is so important and so exciting. This is why genealogy matters. If there is a son like Ham and, and Canaan who is cursed, look what happens through Shem. Verse 24 through 26. When Nahor had lived 29 years, he fathered Terah. And Nahor lived after he fathered Terah 119 years and had other sons and daughters. When Terah had lived 70 years, he fathered Abraham. I say, it says Abram, but Abraham. I'm using the word that we know. So Abram comes from Shem. The godly line is still continued. That's awesome. It's through Shem that all the patriarchs that we hear about, Abraham, and we hear about Joseph, we're going to hear about David, all the way to Christ through Shem. So Canaan's cursed, evil continues to spread through Shem, righteousness is still accessible because God always preserves his line of salvation. So I underline in mind, he fathered Abram. I'm not gonna lie, I forget everybody else in that list. Like I get Nahor, I get Terah, but everybody else, not as big of a deal right now. What happened after the flood? Sin continued, the promise and the hope of salvation continued and it happens through Shem. Who is in the bloodline of Shem? Abram. From Adam through Noah through Shem, our great and wonderful Savior comes. Shem is incredibly, incredibly important, and yet we don't talk about them. By the way, they do get called uh, or referred to as the Shemites. Just as a side note, if you ever go on Jeopardy, what were Shem's offspring called? The Shemites. They're not going to put that on Jeopardy, but you have it if you need it. 
But from Shem, y'all, the nation of Israel is the reality that develops through Abraham. Like, all that we are today can all be rooted back through Shem and the righteousness that God preserves through him. So the spread of sin now uh, is through Canaan, Shem, the righteous line. Then who is Japheth? Japheth, good summary for him. Genesis 10, 2 through 5, but really the, the best summary is at the end of that. It says, from these the coastland people spread in their lands, each, their own, each with his own language, their clans, their nations. So you know, Japheth wasn't cast away. If we've talked about Canaan and we've talked, or if we talked about Ham and Shem, Japheth's just kind of in the middle, it feels like. He doesn't have any special honor, but he really does because he gets to dwell in the tents of Shem. This is where, like, I, I think that, honestly, I will preach this part better 10 years from now than I will right now. I know I will because I will get it so much richer, but I'm going to do the absolute best I can. So for whatever I cannot make a reality through my explanation, God's spirit's within y'all. He'll do a deeper reality. But it basically comes down to this. Sin continued through, through Ham. Shem, through him, come, comes the nation of Israel and Abram, and there's righteousness. And, and Noah said, Japheth will get to dwell in the tents of Shem. Like, but there's nothing really special about Japheth. If you read his description, he fathers many of the Gentile nations. That's his honor, the Gentile nations. Okay, and you, and you might be thinking, well, why is that an honor? Okay, so in the Bible, you will hear of the Israelites and God's people, and then you will hear of the Gentiles. There are God's people, and then there are the Gentiles. Shem basically establishes a bloodline of those who would become God's people, and Japheth, along with some of these other clans, um, fathers the Gentiles. Okay, so Noah then, speaking in a temporary way, was in a way also prophesying about why you and I sit here today. Japheth was going to get to dwell in the tents of Shem then. In other words, Shem will be established, and Japheth, you get to come alongside him, you get to dwell in his tents. So Japheth, don't worry. You and I are the Japheths. We were the Gentiles. Through Israel, whenever Christ came and he saved us, then we now dwell in the tents of Shem. I don't, and this is where I say, I don't think I can do this fully well. But in other words, all that Shem had, Japheth, you get the joy of being alongside him and having peace and dwelling with him. And you and I get that peace in Christ. We were the Gentiles who were really not a nation unto God. And God moved from Israel and he began to proclaim to the Gentiles and to bring the Gentiles into him. So where Japheth got to dwell in the tents of Shem and his established righteousness that, that would come, you and I have been brought into the fold of God. We have been grafted in and we are the Japheths dwelling in the tents of Shem. There's a much greater, fuller reality. You and I sit here today because God's work was far reaching and it was known from the beginning. That's why we are doing Genesis 1 all the way through, that from the beginning, the gospel is fully realized and it begins to work itself out in a way that we can understand. We get to sit here and dwell in the tents of Shem. We dwell in Christ, in other words, in his righteousness because he has chosen to make us his own. I just think that's really cool. It's really awesome. Galatians chapter 3. Go to Galatians chapter 3. So that you see that I'm not taking this too far, and then we will conclude. I do think that this is why this passage of Noah and Ham, Japheth, and Shem, I think that it matters because it reminds us again today 
that God has always, always, always been about offering salvation and redeeming people unto himself. And it helps us to delight in the fact that, you know what? We didn't just figure this out one day. This has been the plan from the beginning. And he just kept giving us, well, you've done this with your kids. You teach them something small here. And then years later, you're like teaching them a greater reality of that. You go back, you're like, hey, remember whenever I taught you how to do that? Well, that's actually that you're going to do that, but it's on a bigger scale. This, this little moment actually means this now. I think that's what God's doing all throughout the Old Testament. He's like, hey, here's a, here's a shadow. Here's a picture of something so small that becomes a grander reality. Okay, you're in Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 through 9. And then we're going we're gonna to pull this together and end. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteous, know then that it is those of faith, so those who, believed in, who believe in Jesus Christ, they are the sons of Abraham. Right, it used to just be Israel, but anyone who is of the faith, they are son of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, by the way, who came through Shem, the man of faith. So the reason we go there is because everybody always goes back to Abraham, and, it, and they should. Right? He's, he's the emblem of faith. But Abraham came from, came from Shem. God preserved Shem and the hope of salvation that ultimately would spread to the rest of the world. So whenever Noah curses, I, think, I hope we have a better understanding of that, but I think really the fuller reality of it is that he was foreseeing the gospel that God would be doing uh, throughout the rest of the world. He just knew it for his sons and their nations. But God took what little Noah knew and he made it a fuller reality for us. The gospel took Noah's blessings for his sons and it made it a fuller reality for all Gentiles through the blood of Christ. By the way, who ultimately and through Shem, by Christ, we have been grafted into the branch of redemption according to Romans. According to Galatians, we're there. By Christ, we Japheth have been allowed to dwell in the tents of Shem and all of the gospel for all people for all time, if they will simply believe, is fully accessible from the beginning of time to the end. But one day, whenever Christ returns, there will be no more hope of salvation for others. There will just be salvation for those of us who believe. That's what we wait on. That's why we look at the world, and that's why we go, God, how much longer? But don't forget, we have been given the ministry of reconciliation, God making his appeal through us so that all may be reconciled, so that all the Japhets can come into the tents of Shem. Right, but they live in a land of Canaanites where sin is delighted in and exploited and sin seeks to always find a new, deeper exploitation. And we live in this land and we're wondering, what are we supposed to be doing? Proclaiming the goodness of Christ. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Not lamenting the evil alone, but lamenting, but, but then also rescuing those who are caught up in this world. So... How do we respond to this? I know it's always helpful whenever a pastor says you need to do one, two, three things. I, you know, honestly, I don't think that that's my job is to tell you how you respond to this. A couple of quick things. I would just basically say trust God and the work he's doing in your heart. If he has shown you today his majesty and goodness, praise him. If he's shown you your sin, repent toward him. If he has revealed the gospel yet again, then rejoice and if he's offered salvation to you and you're ready to receive it, then you believe, you repent of your sins, and you be saved. 
but he's probably also doing other things in your life. He might be sitting there going, you're the ham. You're, this was your sin that I clearly showed. I don't know what God does in your hearts. I can open the word, I can preach the word, and I trust God to do what he does. And what God does is he deals with hearts. So whatever it is he's called you to do, you do it. I pray that we're equipped, we're sanctified. I was challenged by going back to the Ten Commandments. I'm super, super excited to think on Shem and Japheth. I I mean, all those things, but those are mine. So we're going to sing a song of reflection like we always do, and then it'll be a benediction, and then we will go. But I pray you've been equipped. pray we've been sanctified, washed by your word, God, and that you just be with us. Lord, we love you. We are thankful for even hard passages where we're wondering, how in the world does this apply to us? We're, we're thankful that you still give us great commentators and theologians throughout the ages who, who have wrestled with your word and find peace with your word. Lord, I'm thankful that, that you sanctify us with truth. Your word is truth. Lord, we love you and praise in our son's holy name. Amen.